The reading this evening is from Romans 8, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about by your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everybody. Uh, You've got two options of what you want to do for the next 25 minutes. You can either listen to me, but if you don't feel like it, then another option is you can read chapters 7 and 8 of the book of Romans and count how many times Paul the author uses the word flesh and spirit. The choice is yours. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would speak to us uh, during these next few minutes, that you would speak to our hearts and you would open us to you, that we would be ready uh, to hear from you. 
Lord, we pray that you would challenge the places in our lives that perhaps we've closed off from you tonight. Lord, that you would heal us in the places that we need your healing. That we would know your forgiveness in the parts of our life where we know we're broken and we've, we've done things that fall short of your glory. And Lord, we pray that we would know your love in perhaps a way that we've never known or experienced before. And that love and that truth would set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. So during the first uh, lockdown, uh, my cousin, who is an artist, decided to give herself a little project. She tends to have like these, these projects. And the project that she gave herself was to find lots of sort of all obscure women from around the world who have done incredible things with their lives and paint imaginary por uh, portraits almost of, of some of them. Some of them she had photographs to go, to go by. Uh, some of them she had no idea because they'd been around so long ago. Uh, there wasn't any photographs but she, she researched and read about these incredible women, most of whom wouldn't be known by lots of us here, uh, but who in some way uh, sort of challenged the position that they'd put, been put in because of society uh, for being woman, uh, women and had done something radical. Anyway, she did this series of paintings and then created sets of prints that you could buy because that's what she does. And, uh, and I bought a set of prints and they're absolutely amazing. And if you come to my house, I've got a whole set of these women on the walls uh, by my toilet, partly so people are inspired and my children are inspired uh, when they're at the loo. Anyway, one of these women uh, was a woman called Irene Sendler. She's probably better known uh, than many of the women that my cousin painted uh, because a film has been made about her, evidently. I've never seen it. But she was a, a social worker in Warsaw, in, in Poland, leading up to the Second World War. And she had always been a humanitarian. She'd always worked for the oppressed. It was just who she was. And she had for many years, pre-war, fought against the discrimination uh, that the Jews had been facing for, for many years before the Second World War in Poland. When uh, war broke out and the Jews were rounded up and held uh, in horrendous conditions in the Warsaw Ghetto uh, before later being transported to concentration camps, Irene at that point was working in the Department of Social Welfare and Public Health in the city of Warsaw. And she could see what was happening uh, to the Jews that were being held in this ghetto. And so with a few other uh, sympathetic people from her department, uh, she used her position to smuggle out of the ghetto hundreds of Jewish children by any means she could. She would hide them in things when she was going uh, into the ghetto under false pretenses and smuggle them out one or two at the time, sometimes babies, sometimes toddlers, sometimes uh, larger children as well. And she would give them, once they were out, false ID documents and then hide them maybe with sympathetic Polish families or, or in orphanages or sometimes with nuns in convents all over the country of Poland. Even when later on in the war she was arrested and tortured by the Nazis, she didn't give away any of the locations of any of the children. 
And as a result, she saved hundreds, if not thousands, of lives. Her story is incredible. She was actually sentenced to death, uh, but somehow she managed to uh, not get shot uh, the day that she was meant to be, and then, in fact, got released as well, and she survived the war uh, and spent the rest of her life involved in humanitarian work, in social activism, and in government in Poland. The point is this. Irene was a woman who knew who she was and what was important. Her identity uh, uh, as a humanitarian shaped her behavior and the choices that she made throughout her whole life. Today we're going to be exploring this rich passage that we have from Romans 8. And as we do, we're going to explore how the Holy Spirit is crucial to actually enabling us to live out our identity as Christians. We will see that our, uh, that our behavior as Christians flows from our identity in Jesus and the Holy Spirit's ongoing reset of our hearts and our minds. So let's start with looking at our identity in Jesus. So Paul begins this whole chapter with this incredibly good news here in verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That literally means those who have their identity in Christ Jesus. Now, in the previous chapter uh, of Romans 7, and some of you have taken on my first challenge, so I'm madly looking through Romans chapter 7, counting the number of times he says flesh and spirit. In Romans chapter 7, Paul has been explaining how even if we have decided to follow Jesus, sin and temptation are constantly pulling at us and pulling us away from Jesus. Um, You might know what that feels like because you might be experiencing it right now. Chapter 7, verse 18, Paul says this, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. It's like he's having a bit of a minor strop, you know, he's saying, I know, I know how God wants me to live for him, but I just can't do it. It's just too difficult. And then as he comes to the end of the chapter, he asks this rhetorical question, verse 24, you know, who will rescue me from the body of death? But what seems impossible in Romans chapter 7, Paul goes on to explain in Romans chapter 8, what is indeed possible? What is indeed possible because of the Holy Spirit? Let's look again, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus... The law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Basically, Paul is reminding these uh, new Christians in Rome, these Jewish Christians in Rome and us today, that when Jesus died on the cross, he died our death, the death that we deserve as sinners so that we can be free from sin, free to live a life of holiness that glorifies God. But also, 
We're set free from trying, just trying all the time to do the right thing, to achieve this holiness. You know, trying to follow the law perfectly, which is what uh, the Jews have been doing for centuries. Trying to make all the sacrifices at the right time and in the right, right way to atone for sin. Because frankly, we're all rubbish at it, aren't we? And we all fail all the time. But now, because Jesus has paid the price for our sin... He has set us free. Our identity in Christ means that now we live by grace. And Jesus has made it possible for us to be holy where we repeatedly fail. But let's be realistic here. Even though we can know and believe this truth that Jesus has forgiven us, that he's died our death for us, that he set us free, We have this promise that there is no condemnation for those of us who have put our identity in Jesus. Even though we can know and believe all this, as Christians, we still sin. Well, at least I do. I don't know about you. You might all be absolutely perfect. Uh, But I'm assuming you're not, so we'll say it. We all sin. That means, you know, we lie about stuff. You know those lies that you're actually classifying, you know, I'm not really lying, I'm just avoiding telling the truth because I don't want to hurt somebody. That is still a lie. We lie about stuff, you know, to cover our tracks. We treat people badly, you know, we gossip and chat about people behind their backs. We cheat at stuff sometimes. You know, we think or act out of lust rather than love. We're selfish we're egocentric rather than other-centric and God-centric, and we could go on and on and on, couldn't we? Yes, Jesus' blood shed on the cross has made us righteous. That means right with God. But it's still flipping hard work trying to live for him, isn't it? With all the, the temptations pulling at us, And we can feel like we're just trapped or enslaved by sin or just pulled in every direction. And so this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. God knows what we as humans are like. He knows you. He knows me and he knows the things that we particularly struggle with. He knows that we're walking this tightrope of the world with all its temptation, temptations. He knows the push and the pull of the daily choices that we make. And he knows that on our own, it's all a bit of a disaster. And so God gave us the Holy Spirit to be his permanent presence with us. Because he knows we can't do it on our own. Even though we might know our identity is in God through Jesus, trying our best to live a life of holiness without him is just too tough for us. And so we need the Holy Spirit to lead us to life rather than death. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us to make the right decisions. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us, to fill us so that we're able to stand firm in the battle that so many of us are in every day between trying to live for Jesus on the one hand or living for my own pleasure or living for something or somebody else. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us 
so that we can keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, so that we can run the race that he's set before us, showing us every day how to be holy. And so this is where Paul takes us in verses 5 to 11 of chapter 8. I don't know whether you've ever thought about it like this, but living for Jesus does feel sometimes like we're in the middle of a battle, doesn't it? as we're pulled towards sin and pulled away from Jesus. And then suddenly we remember, oh yeah, you know, I am a Christian. Uh, you know, oh, may, maybe Jesus did do something for me. Uh, or, or maybe I realize that Jesus does love me af- after all. And we come back to him. And it's like this battle is often lost and won in our minds. Let's look at verses five and six. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. What we mean by like flesh is like worldly stuff, things of the earth, the body, all that sort of stuff. So those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. So that means like material stuff, acclaim, we go after success, we go after belongings, we go after admiration, we go after money, we go out of sex in its wrong context, uh, we go after lust. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. So that's worship of God. It means love in its right context. It means loving other people. It means pursuing peace. It means working for justice and kindness and gentleness and forgiveness and holiness. And then verse 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And how we live seems to depend on what our minds are set on. Set on the flesh or the spirit. So what is your mind set on? How would you answer that question? What is your mind set on? What is your priority of your mind? And how does it affect your identity and therefore your behavior? So an example for you. Your mind might be set on getting noticed. Getting noticed. Maybe getting noticed at work. Or getting noticed by your family. Or getting noticed by somebody you fancy or want to talk to or whatever the right lingo is. Getting noticed by a friend. Getting noticed for your sport getting noticed for your intelligence. And that becomes your focus. Your mind is set on it. But then it affects how I think about myself. You know, if I was X or Y, then then they'd notice me. Then I'd get noticed. Or if I was a bit different, then, then they'd notice. Or why am I so rubbish that nobody notices? And then that way of thinking can affect my behavior. And we find ourselves becoming competitive, you know, trying to put others down uh, so that we make ourselves look better. What is your mind set on? What is the priority of your mind? In our culture today, much of what enters our minds 
It's through our eyes, isn't it? We're a very visual culture. Uh, there's a, a saying uh, that the eyes are a window of the soul. When you look at somebody eye, somebody's eyes, it tells you what's going on inside them. But equally, I think I could invent a new uh, saying just right now, that our eyes are the doors of our mind. The, our eyes are the door of our mind. Think for a moment about what you look at, what your eyes feast on, and how that affects your life, your holiness, your relationship with Jesus. Now, generally, unless you're a very curious two-year-old, you wouldn't walk down the street and pick up some rubbish from the floor and just put it in your mouth because you know that that may well have a negative effect on you in some way. And yet, even though we wouldn't do that, walking down the street, pick up some rotten, like, chips that are on the floor, we can and do just that in terms of our visual consumption. Our eyes are the door of our minds. And sometimes we look at stuff and consume it that can have a really negative effect on our lives. So maybe we choose to read unhelpful material. Or we watch hours and hours. It's so easy, isn't it? This motion. We all know it so well. If you don't, I'll explain afterwards or find somebody under the age of 20 and they'll explain it to you. We watch hours of unhelpful, mindless, even downright evil at times content on social media or the internet or Netflix or TV or whatever your media of choice is, which whether we know it or acknowledge it or not, can deeply affect our minds, can deeply affect our beliefs, maybe about ourselves or what we think about other people, or even our whole worldview about the world. And so what happens is, in Paul's language, our minds become set on what the flesh desires rather than what on the spirit desires. Now, I'm not suggesting that we need to become hermits, uh, disengaging from all popular culture just in case it pollutes us in some way. But we do need to be aware that not everything out there is good or godly. Just because it's popular and everybody else is consuming it, Love Island, does not mean we, we should be, I watched half an episode this week, okay, um, does not mean that we should be feeding our souls and our minds with it, okay? Maybe some of us need to take seriously the effect of what goes into our minds and the effect that that has on how we feel about ourselves and also how close we are to God. And can I suggest that there are some things that as Christians, we actually need to actively avoid or step away from because they're just unhelpful. And you know what those things are for you. 
The lies that we can believe can also feed into this battle that we're in for our minds. Uh, psychologist David Benner said this about lies. It's not so much that we tell lies as that we live them. It's not so much that we tell lies, but we live them. Uh, John Mark Comer is a church leader, a bit of a theologian. He's a sort of commentator on society and culture. Uh, he writes books. He speaks around the place. I don't know how he has enough hours in the day. Uh, and he also does brilliant podcasts. Uh, and one of the books he's written is this one called Live No Lies. It's brilliant. Uh, and there's also a podcast also called Live No Lies, which is equally brilliant. I would highly recommend them. And John Mark uh, Comer, in this book, which is about living no lies, uh, explores the effect uh, of this, saying this. Sorry, I've got really bad eyesight. Can we just set the lights? <laughs> I can't read it. Oh, I'm just getting old. Just a bit more. Tiny bit more. Otherwise, I'm going to have to go and get my phone. You can't do it. Okay, that's fine. We'll manage. I'll manage. Okay. Oh, fantastic. Okay. <laughs> Suppose you believe this lie that you are unlovable. Wherever you picked it up in your life journey, be it a broken relationship with your parents, a breakup, a failure, or something else, then if you let that lie into your body into your neurobiology. You let that lie give shape to your behavior. Because you don't believe you're worthy of love, you then let people treat you in ways that are disrespectful or demeaning. Or you act in ways that are disrespectful or, meaning or demeaning. And if you live, in, live into this long enough, tragically, what was false starts to become true. I do not need to say, like all wounds to the soul, this can be healed. My point is this, lies distort our souls and drive us into ruin. And so lies that become our identity affect our behavior, our lives. But there is good news. Because as Christians, peoples whose identity is in Jesus, who as verse 5 told us, live by the Spirit, the Spirit can help us, can almost reset our minds and our hearts and lead us into all love and all freedom and all truth. Now you might think that's a ridiculous claim, Libby. You know, that's a bit extreme to expect the spirit to like reset my mind and my, my heart. You don't know what I'm struggling with. You don't know what's happening to me. But Paul reminds us in verse 11 that as followers of Jesus, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you and I. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is living in you and I. That's the same spirit that breathed life into Jesus' three-day dead body. This is the same spirit who, as believers, lives in you and I. 
The same spirit who takes us uh, from death to life, from pain to joy, from being enslaved to sin to being free in Christ, from despair to hope, this same spirit can unpick that lie that you have believed about yourself. That same spirit can restore the effect that those negative words that were spoken over you years ago have had and continue to have on your daily life. The spirit of Jesus in you can help you to change your behavior. This same spirit can enable you to break out of that cycle of addiction you're in, can give you the power and the strength and the resolve every day to help you to make a different choice. So let's not underestimate how much the Holy Spirit can help us if we ask him to, to overcome the battle for our minds and reverse the effects of sin upon your life. Many of you will know this guy here. He's going to pop up on the screen, Dan Walker. Uh, he is a presenter, uh, a journalist, uh, just, did, just finished doing BBC Breakfast. Uh, he's also a really great tweeter, if you follow him on Twitter or if you're a Twitterer yourself. Uh, Dan is really successful in his line of work. You know, he's in the public eye. Uh, he's a celebrity. Yet what defines him is not his success but his faith in Jesus. And he's really open and clear about that. And because his identity is first and foremost as a child of God, the choices that he makes about how he behaves and the priorities he has flow from that decision that he makes every day to keep following Jesus. So for Dan, quite famously, uh, he's known for not working on a sun Sunday. And he does that because he, he says, you know, I want to have one day in a week where I'm not working, where I can actually go to church to worship God with my family, because that's really important uh, for me, and actually see my family as well. Uh, and then perhaps even more famously, in November 2021, those Strictly fans amongst us will know that um, rather than compromising his beliefs about Halloween, when it came to the Strictly Halloween uh, special, he, he spoke to the BBC and he said, you know, I don't want to dress up as a zombie or a ghost because I just don't believe in that. I think it's actually really unhelpful. Uh, and so he was able to dress up as a lobster, obviously, instead his behavior uh, and the choices that he makes, the things he prioritizes, flow from his identity in Jesus, not his identity as a successful celebrity. So where are we up to? Firstly, there is no condemnation for those who have put their identity in Christ Jesus. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is with us and gives us power and strength and guides us and leads us into all truth as we navigate this battle for our minds. But we also need to take some responsibility ourselves. Perhaps a, a responsibility to actually surrender to the Holy Spirit's leading, i.e. let him lead you rather than just leading yourself. And that will sometimes mean 
that we have to take responsibility to make some drastic action. Paul talks about in verse 13, putting to death the things of the flesh. Actually saying no. Put a stop to things that are really unhelpful. And you know, putting to death by implication is not going to be easy, is it? It might be hard or it might be painful, but sometimes it's the only way to keep our minds set on what the spirit desires rather than what the flesh desires. And as well as taking some things out of our lives, we might need to take responsibility to put some things into our lives, to put some helpful habits into our lives so that we can resist sin and know the difference between living according to the uh, spirit and living according to the flesh. So what does this actually look like? You know, often if I'm struggling in some way in my life, anyway, or I feel like I'm wandering away from Jesus, or maybe I'm starting to believe a lie about myself, or I'm getting sucked into a narrative that the culture I live in tells me is unnegotiable truth. And I'm thinking, is it? I don't know. What do I think about that? What does, what does Jesus think about that? Often in these types of moments, the Holy Spirit just pops into my mind a verse of Scripture at just the right moment. How does that happen? It happens because, firstly, I'm ready to listen. And secondly, over the years, I have habitually read or listened to the Bible. Even in the midst of being a super busy working mum with three teenage children, a full-time job who likes to exercise uh, when I've got time and also have a social life. I've been determined to always make reading the Bible part of my routine because nobody else can do it uh, for me. I can't like stand next to Dave Richards or Judy Hughes or somebody else who has an amazing knowledge of scripture and like, you know, just stand next to them. Like what's that thing on your phone where you like can download stuff without touching them, but they send stuff to you airdrop. It's not like they can airdrop all their scriptural knowledge into my mind just by standing next to me. I actually have to take responsibility for it myself. And sometimes I don't succeed in doing that. I sometimes go weeks and I think, flip, I haven't even opened my Bible. Sometimes I just read one or two verses Sometimes I read whole chapters. Sometimes I read whole books. Let me tell you, there's some really short books in the New Testament. (laughs) Things like hymns and worship songs have really helped me to get to know Scripture too. You know, often the lyrics of our worship songs are packed full of biblical truth. And all that over the years has got into my mind and my soul. So that over time, I know the truths that will set me free. So we need to take responsibility to cut things out of our lives or include helpful habits into our lives to allow the Holy Spirit to help you, to guide you into all truth and freedom. And then lastly, 
Paul makes it really clear throughout Romans that this is really serious, important business with serious consequences. Verse 13 to 17 are going to be on the screen. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And so Paul lands this passage with incredible news that those of us who are ready to be led by the Spirit of God are children of God with all the benefits of being his heirs. But not only that, we get invited close. Because I don't know whether you noticed here in verse 15 that Paul writes that because of the Holy Spirit, we're able to call God Abba, Father. That means Daddy. It's the way that Jesus addressed God. We're able, like Jesus, to come close to God and call him Daddy, the perfect Father. It makes me think of like snuggling in like a small child and going, Daddy, with all the affection and fondness. Isn't that absolutely mind-blowing and amazing? You know, it means that we don't need to live in fear of God, of his awesomeness and majesty and holiness. But the Spirit opens the way for us to enter into this most intimate of relationships with our Heavenly Father, Daddy. We can come close to God because the Spirit of Jesus has enabled him to come close to us. And this truth can revolutionize our lives. So, do you know that your identity is in Jesus? Do you know that you are called to live differently? That as a follower of Jesus, you're called to live according to the Spirit and what the Spirit desires rather than what the flesh desires. But as we know and have explored this evening, that's really tough. So do you know that you have the Holy Spirit, the permanent presence of God in you, and that he will lead you and guide you and fill you? And do you know God as Father, that you are a child of God, that you're able to come close and call him Daddy? Let's just pray as we finish. Father God, we thank you for all the truths that we've explored through this passage this evening. We thank you that you are the truth that sets us free. That you have forgiven us. That you have made us holy. That when we put our trust in you, we're filled with your spirit. And Lord, for those of us 
who, all of us, who struggle to live our lives for you because we are pulled in so many directions and we're constantly feel like we're in this battleground. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and we pray that you would give us strength, that you would give us courage, that you would lead us to make the right choices, that you would help us to obey you when we have to make a decision, that, Lord, our love for you would lead us to want to follow you in every aspect of our lives. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.